If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, the scripture that Gene just read for you. I'd like you to follow along. We're going to be looking at, uh, we're going to read that to you two additional times in our message today. Uh, Also on the back of your bulletin, there's a place if you'd like to take some notes uh, from our message today. I'm going to invite you to write down three words, and there may be some additional things you would like to note that you would like to remember and reflect on uh, in the week ahead. Uh, About a month ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to go visit a family in our church who had just welcomed their third child. Uh, They'd been home from the hospital a couple days, and we brought them dinner and went over for the sake of meeting uh, their daughter Josephine and saying a prayer of blessing for her and older brother and older sister and had a great time visiting with them and and sharing in that moment. And in the course of that conversation, of course, the moms started to talk about mom things and the dads started to talk about dad things. And so I don't know what the moms were talking about, but the dads were talking about gadgets. We're talking about stuff, the gadgets that you can get for, for kids these days. And it was, it was in, intriguing to me. We haven't had a newborn in, in seven years, which hasn't been that long, but it's amazing to see how much has changed in the stuff that you can get for your newborn uh, child uh, these days. So let, me just, let me just show you one of these things. We're going to have a bit of a moment here, okay? So just prepare yourself for, for oohs and ahs, okay? So just, just be ready for that. Watch, watch this video of the uh, four moms, Mamaru infant seat. the kangaroo setting. Just in case you don't have a kangaroo, you know, around the house. As that continues to play, let me just read you the product description for this, uh, this item. The Four Moms Mamaru Infant Seat bounces up and down and sways from side to side, just like parents do when comforting their baby. Select from five unique motions, like car ride and tree swing and five different speeds. So in other words, you no longer have to take the child and actually get in the car and drive around the neighborhood like you did, right? You can just put them in the, uh, in the four Mamaroos infant seat. Choose from four built-in sounds, not just one, four, or connect it to any MP3 player. So no longer are you listening to that same song over and over and over again. The seat reclines to multiple positions to allow baby to lie back and relax or sit up. The Mamaroo is now Bluetooth-enabled. So you can control the motion, sound, speed, and volume from your phone or any smart device. You don't even have to get off the couch anymore (laughs) to soothe your baby. I mean, you don't have to get up and rewind the swing. You remember that? No, no, you just, you just punch it on your phone. I mean, it's amazing the stuff that's new for, for kids these days, but of course, There's one thing about a newborn baby that has not changed, and that is the truth that we're looking at in this series, that a baby does change everything about your life. Do we have some parents here today who would affirm that truth, who would just say, amen, amen, a baby changes everything about your life. That's true today. That's true for Josephine's parents who were in, in the first few months of of her life. It was true for you when you, you welcomed your children, if, you, if you've had that blessing of receiving a child in your home. And it was true thousands of years ago for Mary and Joseph when they, when they welcomed the baby Jesus. It changed their life. It changed their life forever. But there's, of course, something unique about the birth of Jesus that we're looking at in this series, in that Jesus's life, his birth, not only changed the life of Mary and Joseph, but it also changed all of human life. We believe that this baby changed everything, everything about our world. 
And so as we prepare again, as we do each year in Advent, we anticipate the celebration of Christmas, the remembrance of Jesus' birth. What we are doing is simply pausing and asking, how is the world different now because of Jesus? What is it about our faith? What is it about, about our beliefs that, that are unique to, to the teachings of Jesus that, that represent a dramatic shift in the way the world thinks, in the way that we behave, in, in the way that we see uh, the meaning and, and, and the fullness of life? Jesus came to change everything. And so we're looking at the way in which the world has changed because of the teachings of Jesus. So with that in mind, I want you to hear this scripture again. This is, this is the first of three chapters in Matthew's gospel that contain what is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the most extensive teachings of Jesus, where he shares with his audience there that day his understanding of what life is really all about. And what I want you to hear from, from that setup, I want you to hear the contrast that Jesus offers between the way the world is and the way the world he and, and the way of the world is he saw it to be, the way they understood what life was and the way in which he challenged them to see life in a brand new way. So listen for that contrast as we again listen as we hear these words from Jesus. He says, "You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek." Turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, the, the Father who causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Do you hear the contrast? Over and over again in this section of the teachings of Jesus, we, we find Jesus saying, you've heard it said, common knowledge is, what everyone tends to believe is, but I say to you this, and Jesus offers again and again throughout the Sermon on the Mount, a radically different way of understanding the world and understanding what life is really all about. So here's what I want you to do this morning. I, I want to go through what might be a difficult exercise. So I'll just, I'll just tell you that up front. It might be a little bit of a challenge. I want you to pretend like you've never heard this before. I want you to pretend like you have never heard the phrase, turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, uh, love your enemy. I want you to imagine that that has never entered into your mind before. Never heard anything like that. And I want you to imagine that, that this morning I invited a guest speaker to come and share with you. Someone from another planet. That's pretty cool, right? Another planet who has come to share with you. And the content of their message in which they, sh they came to share was essentially this. Okay, I've, you've heard all your life that life is supposed to be fair. But, but here's, here's how I think you should think about life. Uh, I, I know all along in your life you've heard if people are good to you, you should be good in return. 
But if people are not so good to you, well, then you're kind of off the hook. You can just kind of leave them alone. If someone someone comes and slaps you across the face, here's what I want you to do. This is what the speaker would say. I think you should turn to them the other cheek and say, hit me again. And if someone comes and says, you know what, that's a nice jacket. I like that jacket. Can I have that jacket? You should not only give them that jacket, but go ahead and run them by the house and give them the selection of something else that's in your closet. And yes, I know there's people in your life who may not like you. You may not like them. But rather than wishing ill on them, I want you to, I want you to pray for them. And maybe there's some people in your life who are, I don't, maybe there's, the adversarial relationship has gone a little bit further than, than just we don't like each other. They're actually working against you. Here's, here's what I would encourage you to do. Don't, don't seek revenge. Don't, instead, I want to challenge you to love them. Oh, and by the way, this isn't some manipulative way of getting what you want. This is going to lead you to more trouble and more sacrifice. Now, if you've never heard anything like this before, how many of you would be looking over at me going, where did you get this guy? Why'd you bring him here? This is crazy. This doesn't make any sense. But we live in the new world, don't we? Now, the reason I wanted to go through that exercise is I want you to recognize that it is difficult for us at times to see how the world used to be because so much of the teachings of Jesus have have worked themselves into our common and shared values. It, It is difficult to imagine what it would be like to hear for the very first time if someone forces you to walk a mile, go the other mile. If someone slaps you across the face, offer them the other cheek. And yes, you've heard it before, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for them. This is the world that that, that Jesus dreams of, of becoming among us. And so here's what I want to invite you to. I want to invite you to write down three words. The words you're going to see on the screen. The words are compassion, humility, and sacrifice. Compassion and humility and sacrifice. And what I want us to think about today is that these three words, which do represent for us our common and shared values, they're a part of how we we see what life is all about. I want us to think about that these ideas are are uniquely from the life and teachings of Jesus. They're, they're why, he, he is why we think these things. They come from him. And, and I just want us to think for a moment this morning about how did we get here? How did we get from a place where when you look at the teachings of Jesus from just a logical perspective, you may think, well, that's a little bit crazy. How did we get to the point where we are today, where we are gathered here in this place and we say, yeah, we should live with compassion and humility and sacrifice. That is the way of Jesus. How did that happen? Uh, one of my passions, uh, you, you may not know this, is history. I love, I love the study of history. I, I received that gift, I think, from my grandmother. My grandmother uh, really poured that uh, into me and, and my siblings. We, we traveled the country as kids in, in, in her RV, seeing the different places in our country that, that, res- that correspond to the American story. And, and so that's where that, that love really came from the beginning, was the study of American history. But of course, it has since grown into biblical history and the and the story of our faith and how we grew from this small group of of Jews living in Jerusalem to this worldwide movement that the Christian church is today how 
And exactly did that happen? Uh, a book, if you are a history nerd, I mean, if you're a pretty good nerd like, like me, you would love the book, The Rise of Christianity, which talks about how Christianity grew from this small sect there in Jerusalem to becoming the dominant religion in, in the known world. How did that happen? And what uh, Rodney Stark, the author, does in that book is he looks at it from a sociological perspective. What are the things that happened in history that led to the expansion of the Christian faith? Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, that, I do not want to read that book. That's okay. I'm just going to share with you a couple of, uh, of highlights from the book. One of the things that Stark points out as a a phenomenon in history that led to the, a great expansion in the church were plagues that happened in the Roman Empire in the second and third century. Now that may sound a little bit strange. How did, how did that lead to the growth of the Christian church? Well, he shares a couple of historical sources. First, from Dionysus, who was a bishop in the early church. He wrote this about that period of time and how the Christian world responded to that disease in contrast to the pagan world. Here's what Dionysus wrote. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. But Dionysius continues, the heathen behaved in a very opposite way. At the very onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread of and contagion of the fate, fatal disease. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. Now again, you may ask, well, how, how did a plague that wiped out thousands, perhaps millions of people. How did that lead to the spread of Christianity? Well, two things happen. First, of those Christians who responded with compassion and humility and sacrifice, those who cared for the sick, not all of them died. Some of them, in caring for the sick, actually grew immune to the effects of the disease, and they survived. But many of them didn't. Many of them did, in fact, die. They took on the disease of those that they were expressing care for. But what they left behind in their deaths was a witness to their faith that taught them to live lives of compassion and humility and sacrifice. And many of the pagans who had fled and left behind their own loved ones saw how the Christians responded. These people who were not even afraid of death. And in their witness, because of their witness, these pagans who had written off this man named Jesus, they gave him a second look because of the witness of faith left behind by those who had gone to their deaths. And in doing so, they'd done it by caring for the sick and the dying. Almost a century later, the emperor Julian uh, Stark continues by talking about how the pagan world sought to respond to this. The emperor Julian, he writes, launched a campaign to institute pagan charities, to begin and to start pagan charities in an effort to match the Christians. 
Julian, the emperor, complained in a letter to the high priest of Galatia, so the, the pagan priest in 362, that the pagans needed to equal the virtue of Christians, for recent Christian growth was caused by their, quote, moral character, even if it was pretended. That's how Julian saw it. Didn't see it as genuine. And by their, quote, benevolence towards strangers and care for the graves of the dead. Julian continued by saying, the impious Galileans, that's how you refer to the Christians, support not only their poor, but ours as well. And everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. There is this compassion, there is this humility, there is this sacrifice that they are living out day in and day out. And Julian writes, we got to do something about it because the Christian faith is growing and spreading as people see the witness of these men and women who are living such extraordinary and revolutionary lives. Now bring that to the present day. How did we get to where we are today? I asked some of our staff this week to put together for me a list of organizations and ministries just here in the, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that are involved in works of compassion and service for people in need in our community. Just share with me a list, just in, in the DFW area, don't go beyond that, but just in our area, give me a list of some of the ministries and, and organizations that are working, faith-based initiatives that are working to bring healing and hope for people who find themselves in need. So here's, here's the list that they gave me. Cornerstone Assistance Network, Community Enrichment Center, Catholic Charities, Union Gospel Mission, Salvation Army, Feed by Grace, Presbyterian Night Shelter, Trinity Habitat for Humanity, the Common Ground Network, the Wesley Mission Center, the Meals on Wheels, Refugee Services of Texas, Literacy Instruction for Texas, Celebrate Recovery, Stop Hunger Now, World Vision, various faith-based hospice groups. So just Fill the list there, because there's, there's a lot of them. Sound Mind Ministries, Beautiful Feet Ministries, Living Word Outreach, St. Vincent de Paul Catholic Charities, Big Hope, Project Transformation, Faith Presbyterian Hospice, Methodist, Has, Methodist Hospital System, which of course includes our hospital here in Mansfield, Texas Health Resources, which includes the Harris System, Hughley Hospital, Baylor Scott and White, Baylor All Saints, Adventist Health System, which includes Hughley, Texas Health Presbyterian, Big Brothers Big Sisters, Methodist Children's Home, Aldersgate Enrichment Center, United Community Centers, Arlington Mansfield Pregnancy Center, Restoring Hope Center, True Faith Community Esther House, A Cup of Water Ministry, New Name Ministry, Cowrose Prison Ministry, Hands of Christ Ministry. I could keep going, but I'm tired. <laughs> Teresa, uh, who, who leads our global uh, ministries, actually sent me an additional email. After she sent me all this, she sent me an additional email that it just had a link and it said, Here's more. And I clicked it and there was 194, 195 more organizations that I could read to you. We'd be here through lunch and you'd be mad at me. I mean, we, we, all of these organizations that are faith based organizations that are seeking to live out compassion and humility and sacrifice. And I share all of that just, just to ask you this one question. How different would our world be without Jesus? How different would our just little slice of the world, just here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, how different would our world be without Jesus? Without all these organizations that I just, I just list. How, how different would healthcare in this area be? When you need, when you need support, if, if all these hospitals that were founded by people of faith did not exist. 
all these organizations that are working with, with people who find themselves in need and, and simply offering ministries of compassion. And so how different would our world be without Jesus? You see, we live in the new world. We live in this new world, and so we often forget. We don't fully recognize that all these things that surround us, that support and nurture the life that we live and the lives of so many, the only reason they exist is because of Jesus. And this new ideal, these new virtues that he introduced into our world, the virtues of compassion and humility and sacrifice. Going back to to Rodney Stark, he says this, something distinctive did come into the world with the development of Judeo-Christian thought, the linking of a highly social ethical code with religion. The Christian teaching that God loves those who love Him was alien to pagan beliefs. Equally alien to paganism was the notion that because God loves humanity, Christians cannot please God unless they love one another. Indeed, as God demonstrates His love through sacrifice, humans must demonstrate their love through sacrifice on behalf of one another. And he finishes this thought by simply saying this, these were revolutionary ideas. Revolutionary ideas. Tertullian, writing in the third century, said this, it is our care of the helpless our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say. Look how they love one another. Only look. Look how they love one another. Now, big question. What's the point, David? What's the point of all this? What's the take home for us as we think about this Christmas season and everything that Christmas is about for us? This is, this is what I want to invite you to do. This is the closing challenge that I want to give you. Just two things. The first thing is, as you give this Christmas, and I know you're going to do that in a variety of different ways. Some of you have done that today. You've brought angel tree, angel tree gifts. You've filled the atrium with, with blessings for people in need. You're going to do that on Christmas Eve. You're going to bring an offering for Zoe Ministry supporting these or- orphans that, uh, that, that we have adopted and we're seeing live transformed in tremendous ways. You're going to, you're going to walk into Walmart or some, uh, you're going to go to the mall and you're going to see that Salvation Army bucket and you're going to drop a dollar in there. You, you're, I know you're going to do many, many different things in this season of giving. Uh, we all do that during the month of December. You're going, to, you're going to be invested in that. I know you are. But as you do, I just want you to remember one thing. You are doing that because of Jesus. You are doing that because of Jesus. There is a value in that. There is, a, uh, there is meaning for us in that because of Jesus. He is the one who introduced to us this radical and revolutionary way of living our lives. It belongs to Him. And when you give, when you sacrifice, when you serve, even when you're there trying to find that one gift for that one special person and you're going from store to store, remember you're doing that because of Jesus. Because when we give and when we share and when we sacrifice, we are testifying to the world that we 
belong to him. So my prayer is that as you engage in those things that you do every single year, that they would take on an additional meaning this year as you remember this is an act that originates in the heart of God. This is an act that represents the love of Jesus. I give because Christ first gave to me. The second thing I want to invite you to do this, this Christmas season is you think about how this man named Jesus has changed everything. As, as you think about the Christian faith, as you think about the church, as you think about our role in the world, and maybe, maybe you are like me and sometimes you hear about the shrinking influence of the church, and maybe that raises some concern for you, and you think, well, what does the church do? How do we respond? What, what, what is it that we are supposed to do in a world that, that seems to be turning away from, from, from this idea of following Jesus? I want you to remember that we have before us the witness of the saints, the witness of millions who have gone before us, brothers and sisters in faith, who have lived their lives according to three simple words. Compassion and humility and sacrifice. And if you ever find yourself wondering, what, what is it that the world really needs? What is it, how is it that I, as a person of faith, can respond? Just remember those three words. Compassion and humility and sacrifice. Let me close by inviting you to hear one more time these words of Jesus in a translation that may not be as familiar to you. Here's another old saying that deserves a second look, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose, don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues you for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your god created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best. The sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any turn-of-the-mill, run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. You're kingdom subjects. Now, live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we pause today to give you thanks for this season of preparation. As we again prepare ourselves for the celebration, Lord, of your birth, remembering how life is now different, how our world is now different because of you. Lord, as you have lived before us the good life, the full life, a beautiful life, 
Enable us, Lord, to follow your example, to give, to share, to sacrifice, to serve as you have sacrificed and served for us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.